Are you glad you're at church today? How many of you are you're, you're awake, alert, enthusiastic, excited to hear from God today? And how many of you are already saying, leave me alone? Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. No, no, Acts chapter 2. I've said it so many times. Acts chapter 2. Oh, man. This is one of those days where it's a privilege to communicate this information. It's a challenge because think about the the monumental the, the watershed events in history. A watershed event is when uh, something where everything changed. Obviously, the creation, everything began. Just completely different from what had been before. And then at, at the creation of man, now there's someone for God to communicate with on earth. And then the fall happens. And then now there's a completely different economy. They're making sacrifices, and, and there, there's a price to be paid for sin. And then the imaginations of the thoughts of men are only evil continually. In Genesis chapter 6, God destroys the world through the flood. How many of you think that was a pretty important event in the history of the world? Yeah, everything changed. Everything changed. But the next time, yes, God gave the law. He, he called his people. Those, those are important things. But probably the next greatest important thing, more important than any of them, was when Jesus Christ came and was born of a virgin and lived that sinless life, walked the earth, modeled what a perfect man could be, and demonstrated that even if a man is absolutely sinless and perfect, the world will hate him. So sometimes we, we want the world to like us. We want our gospel to be a gospel that's appealing to the world. And that, well, if they didn't like Jesus, they're not going to like you if you're like Jesus. And if the world likes you, it means you are not like Jesus. Amen? We're supposed to be like him. What did Jesus say? Don't be surprised when men hate you. They hated me first. When he was praying in John 17, praying to the Father for his disciples, he said, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them for it. So obviously, when Jesus Christ came, that was, that was monumental. And then when he died on the cross, well, he conquered death. He paid the penalty, demonstrated when he rose from the dead. And here in a couple of weeks, we'll have Easter Sunday. I hope you'll take those invitations and invite as many people as possible. Don't worry about whether it's received well or not. Just invite people. Just invite people. Because that is, my goodness, what an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, then Jesus Christ ascended to heaven but when he ascended to heaven, he told them, don't worry, here in a little while, I'm going to send the promise of my Father. What we're looking at today is that promise. Everything changed here in Acts chapter 2. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let's stop there for a second. That's weird. How many know there's weird things in the Bible? This is one of those weird times. 
But I don't want you to miss what's really going on. This is the promise of the Father. We get, we really do get distracted by the cloven tongues of fire, by the sound as of a, a, a mighty rushing wind. We, we get distracted by, well, they started speaking with these tongues. What is, what is, what is that talking about? And I'm happy to explain those things. We'll go over it. But that's not the important part of the passage. That those, those manifestations, those things that could be seen or heard, that's not the important part. The important part is now everything is different. Everything is different. More different than the creation. More different than the flood. More different than the birth of Christ. More different than the resurrection. Definitely different than the ascension. There's no way to overemphasize the significance of this passage and what happened. So let's read on. And there were, verse 5, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man, what's it say right there? What's that next word? Heard them speak in his own language. They weren't doing How many of you have experienced, you've been around people speaking in tongues and it sounds kind of like that? That's not what was happening here. They're hearing their own language and then it lists them. And there's at least 12 different languages listed. And depending on whether you're dividing up by region or by individual place, it could be as many as 16. But they're they are individual languages that are identified. So just so you can understand, let's see what the Bible has to say about what, when the Bible uses the word tongue. Hold your place here at Acts. Go to Revelation chapter 5. I hope you notice that I'm trying to use same of the, some of the same passages. I'm repeating these same passages so that you can, can remember these things and know how to communicate them yourself. So, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy, talking about Christ, to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So, tongue. What is that talking about? People pulled out of that little thing that's in your mouth? No, no, no. It's a language. It's a language. There are people groups that are divided by language, not by ethnicity. So we have English speakers. How many of you here are English speakers? All right. Well, there's all different ethnicities and races in here. To the best of my knowledge, there's only two genders. But there are all these different ethnicities and things here in this group. Um, I, I like, I'm kind of like the, the Looney Tunes dog, you know, 50% Schnauzer, 50% Beagle, 50% Sitter, 50%. Remember that, that little thing? That, that's me. I'm a mongrel. My favorite thing, I saw this guy, he took the genetic test, you know, to find out what his genealogy is or whatever. And they give you a pie chart and you would say Italian or German or whatever. He said, mine said 98% white trash. <laughs> that was... That's my favorite thing ever on that. What the Bible says here, when, when you see that word tongue, it is, it's talking about languages. And every time the Bible is used, other than when it's talking about your actual, the organ in your mouth, other than that, 
What it's talking about is a language, always. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. So let's go back there. I'm trying to decide the best way to present this to you, but let's talk about the, the significance, the significance of the day of Pentecost. The, the first thing is that, and you know what, let's go back to the chapter, and I want to read a couple of more verses before I start explaining some of this. So verse 5, there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. We'll talk about what that, these devout men, what is that about? It was noised abroad. So the noise that happened when the Holy Spirit came, a noise as of a mighty rushing wind, nobody's hair was being blown back. It wasn't wind. It sounded like wind, right? Here, here's a good analogy of this. A tornado comes through. And whenever a tornado comes through a community, they find a person with three teeth to interview them. And what do they say? It sounded just like a train, right? That's what they always do. Was it, was it a freight train? Why do people not get this? It was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. There wasn't a mighty rushing wind. It was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The two most important words for you to understand, if you're going to understand your Bible, are the words like and as. Like and as. So it's like a mighty rushing wind. All right, so let's let's keep going. Um, verse 6, That when this was noised abroad, what was noised abroad? What, what was going on? These They heard them speak in their own language. Verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in his own, in our own tongue, wherein we were born? It's not some mystical prayer language. It, this is the way that God chose to reveal himself. You know what's interesting? If you remember Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11, all the people were of one language and one tongue. And the Bible says that God says to, to the rest of the Godhead, let us go down and see them. Now, so important. Did God need to come down to earth to know what was going on on earth? No, but it's demonstrating that God does care about what's happening on earth. So let us go down and see. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, go down and take a look at what's going on at the Tower of Babel. And it says, now we know that nothing shall be restrained from them that they can imagine. And they were going to build a tower that reaches, whose top reaches unto the heavens. And God said, you know what? It's not time for the Empire State Building yet. It's not time for the Dubai Tower yet. It's not time for those things. So he went down and confounded their language. Everyone had one language. They, they could understand each other well. God divided those languages. Why? Why did he divide those languages? Because in Acts chapter 17, he, well, we might as well look at it, Acts chapter 17.
Verse 24, the Apostle Paul, talking to these, these people on Mars Hill that worship many different gods, he's explaining to them the unknown God, the God they don't know, God that made the world and all things therein. So if you don't believe that God created the world, then you are not worshiping the God of the Bible. Amen? Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither... Now, he used to. This is what happened at Pentecost. Now he dwells in you. This is what happened at Pentecost. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. How did he get them to all the face of the earth? He divided their languages. And hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So God determined when you would be born and where you would be born, what language you would speak, what language you would understand, so that you could find him, even though he's not far from anyone. Isn't it wonderful God can be everywhere and not be diminished? You ever have your attention divided, right? And you mess things up because your attention is divided. You're trying to, you're, you're painting and you're trying to cut in that trim and you're being really careful. You're pushing that little bit of paint right in front of your brush and you've got it just perfectly. And the kids say something, yes. Some of you ladies, that happened with your mascara this morning. I can see it right now. <laughs> your attention is divided. You know what? God's attention is never divided even though he can be attentive to everything in the world at the same time. That's one of the many differences between God and us. And so God determined when and where you would be born so that you could find him. But what we find in the Tower of Babel is a, is a division of the languages so that they can be saved. Here, there's a uniting of the languages. And as a matter of fact, it's so interesting that what it appears is that the disciples are speaking their language and everyone's understanding it in their own language. It's unbelievable. Why? So that they can be saved. And what was their message? Go back to Acts chapter 2. What were they speaking on? All right, Acts chapter 2. So it lists all the people, verse 8, "...and how hear we every man in his own tongue, wherein we were born." Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. Do we hear them speak in our tongues? Look at this, the wonderful works of God. What were those wonderful works of God that they would have been testifying to? What would that have been? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? That's the message that they were commanded to give in Luke chapter 24 when the Holy Spirit came down. And we're going to talk about some of that in a minute, Lord willing. So what is happening in this text? What's going on? Why is this such a significant event? Well, what this is, is this is the promise of the Father. What is Pentecost? What happened 
uh, on this feast day. It is the fulfilling of the promise of the Father. So let's see what that is, all right? So uh, understand that in chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and being assembled together with them, this is Jesus commanded them, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So, I want to make sure that, this, that, that our teaching in the book of Acts is not just about what is wrong. Now, how many of you know that Acts chapter 2 has been used to teach a lot of false doctrine, right? There are two primary errors that are taught. And one is baptismal regeneration, and the other, that is that you're saved through baptism. And the other is this baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the evidence of that is speaking in tongues. So some people teach that the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost is that you speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, you are never baptized with the Holy Ghost. Okay, that is, that's clearly not as, what is taught. Those are two of the errors. Let me give you some things that are not in this text. This is one author wrote, There are no Christians present anywhere in this chapter, before or after Peter's message to Israel. The term Christian doesn't even show up until Acts 11. That's interesting. How about this? No one is praying for the gift of tongues or the baptism of the Holy Ghost before or after Pentecost. Nowhere in the Bible are you asked, are you commanded to pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You're never told to pray for that. Why? Because when you get saved, that's what happens. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we'll look at it at another time. It says, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. Every saved person is baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That's what happens. It began here. This is where that began. So no one is praying for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They didn't know what was going to happen. They're waiting. Jesus told them to wait, so they were waiting. Do you know he didn't tell you to wait for the Holy Ghost? Nowhere in the Bible are you told to wait for the Holy Ghost. You're told to go. Right? You're told to walk in the Spirit. Don't sit in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. We are, we are told to do some things. So no one's praying for the gift of tongues. No one's praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And no one speaks in an unknown tongue. These are languages where these other men were born. No one mentioned is made, or no mention is made anywhere in the chapter of any of those things. How about this? No one is baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. Well, what about those cloven tongues of fire? They weren't cloven tongues of fire. Acts chapter 2, look at what it says. Verse 3, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now, how many of you would really like to know what that is? So I've studied this extensively. Let me tell you what that is. You ready? Got your notes ready? I don't have any idea. Happened there. These things, and, and Luke doesn't know what it is. The best way that he can describe it is kind of like a cloven tongue. So you know how a, a flame might have a split in it? That's what it looks like, and it's moving. Something like that went... <laughs> it sat on each one of them. What did it mean? I don't know. What did it do? I don't know. Could they feel it? I don't know. 
Could they taste it? I don't know. And neither do you. But I do know this. It's not the baptism of fire. Why? Because baptism is a complete immersion. This is a cloven tongue sitting on their heads. Or something that looks like a cloven tongue sitting on their heads. What is it? Let's everyone say it together. I don't know. So maybe we're not supposed to focus on that. It's never mentioned again. All right, so let's keep going. Manna. What is it? Manna. What is it? Manna. Do you know what manna means? What is it? I don't know. Eat it. Tastes sweet. That's, let's, let's preach a whole lot about manna. Do you know what preachers do when preachers want, they have a message they want to give that's not in the Bible. They find something no one understands and then they preach that. Some of you men remember we went to a men's retreat and the, for 300 years after, Noah lived for 300 years after the flood. We don't have any record of what Noah was doing for those 300 years. That's what the guy preached. What Noah was doing for those 300 years. Okay, let's keep going. He should not have done that. So there's no mention anywhere in this as that. Nobody is baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And the other thing that's interesting is out of the 120 disciples that are gathered together, only 12 of them are speaking in tongues. It's these preachers. How do we know that? Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and look at what it says in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said. So this is the eleven that are there speaking the wonderful works of God. So the Holy Spirit fell on everyone in the room. The, 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 the cloven tongues of fire, the, the, the things like that, whatever those were. They're on every man. Verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who spoke with tongues? It says they're all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. At the, in verse 3, though, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire, and it sat upon each of them. What it appears is that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Those, those cloven tongues, like as of fire, lighted on each of them. Each of them heard the sound like a mighty rushing wind, but the Holy Spirit gave utterance to some of them. Now, I'm not going to argue with you if you think that that applies to all of them. I'm not going to argue with you about it. There's no reason to. This is just what it appears as you read it because there's a, there's a difference in the language there. But that starts to get pretty pedantic. I do know this. We know it was the 11 that stood up and preached. And we also know that Paul, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Obviously, keep your place in Acts. There's no way I have time to get through everything I need to tell you today.
All right, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this is the, the chapter where Paul talks about tongues to the church at Corinth. And it says in verse 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So in the context of tongues, the Bible is saying, don't let your women do it. And I'll just tell you this. If you want to stop the modern tongues movement in the charismatic churches, tell them the women can't do it. It would end. It would end. But anyway, Paul is letting them know, why are your women doing this? Obviously, that's from the beginning. It was only the men at Pentecost who spoke in tongues. That, that This should naturally flows from the teaching of the Scriptures. So let's talk about a couple of other things, and let's, let's, let's move on. So this promise of the Spirit, this promise of the Spirit, what is that? So go to Acts chapter 1 again. Verse 4, middle of the verse, but wait for the promise of the Father, which ye have, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. So what happens when the Holy Ghost comes on you? You're a witness. Someone asked me this morning about the Asbury revival. And Here's how you'll know if it's a genuine revival. If they go out from there and preach the gospel to people and churches are established. If the gospel is not preached, if they don't go out from there and become witnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and establishing them in the New Testament churches, then it's not a biblical revival. It's very simple. Now, is there some kind of, of movement going on there? Are people rededicating their lives to the Lord? Are people worshiping the Lord? I think that's very real. There are people, that, young people coming from all over to worship the Lord. But are they being sent out to lead people to Christ, to challenge people about their lost and sinful condition before a righteous and holy God? And are they baptizing them and establishing New Testament churches? That's the result of revival every time it takes place. Can I get an amen on that? It's not just a Baptist thing. It's a book of Acts thing. That's, that's what's going on. All right. So what, what was happening here? Well, the Holy Spirit was coming. It was the promise of the Father. Well, what did that include? John chapter 14. Man, a lot of people like to preach on Pentecost and, and the effects of Pentecost. But what did Jesus promise them? At Pentecost. All right, John, 15, John 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's, that's my favorite verse to give to Laura. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Why? Because Jesus is leaving. Another comforter that he may abide with you. How long? Can you say that again? How long? One more time. How long is the Holy Spirit going to abide with you? One of the saddest verses in the Bible. Do you remember Samson? Man, I loved to read about Samson when I was a kid. So strong, powerful. And what he would do is, you know, Delilah is trying to tempt him. And 
wake up, the, the Philistines are here. And he'd shake himself and get up and kill them. That's awesome. Right? That's what he would do. But God had told him, don't cut your hair. And he cut his hair. He had Delilah told her, she cut his hair. The Philistines are here. And he shook himself, went out to fight. And what's the Bible say? He wist not that the Lord had left him. How about that? That's sad. And so what did they do? They took him and they blinded him and they had him, they, they, they put him on a, a grinding wheel and had him there grinding corn. And he prayed and prayed and repented and asked for God to give him his power one more time. And they let him, had someone lead him as a blind man to the pillars that held up the, the palace there. And God gave him his strength back and he pushed that out. But God had left him. What did Jesus say to you? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when that Holy Spirit comes, he will abide with you forever. What's the difference? What changed? Eternal security. What, what, did, what did David have to pray after his sin with Bathsheba? Restore to me now the joy of my salvation. Well, and so what we hear that preached is, well, he didn't lose his salvation. He lost the joy of his salvation. Wrong. Wrong. What about Saul? Saul is communing with evil spirits and doing all of these things. In the Old Testament, there was no indwelling Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, before Pentecost, there was no indwelling Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because I believe Jesus. How many of you believe Jesus? All right, let's look at what it says. John 14. The end of verse 16. That he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth... What are those next two words? Everyone, what are those next two words? And shall be where? In you. In you. Look at Colossians. Hold your place here in John. Go to Colossians. See if I can remember where that is. I think it's 2 and verse 17. No? Let me find it. You know what? It's uh, Ephesians. Go to Ephesians. No, no, hold on. Let me, let me do this real quick. You'll be old someday. It is Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 27, not verse 17. Colossians 1 and verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. What mystery? Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ with you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what happened. That's the promise of the Father. So go back to John 14. All right, so the end of verse 17, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come on, I will come to you. Notice he's saying, I will come to you. You see that? Who's he? But he's saying it's the Holy Spirit that's going to come. Why? Because it's the same thing. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. His body is not with you, his physical body, but when the Holy Spirit of God comes, that's the same thing as Jesus coming. Is it only Jesus? No, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Show us the Father. Haven't been with you so long until you don't know. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now he's saying, I'm going to send the Comforter, but it's me. And that's why the Bible says in the book of Romans, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We're going to look at some of that in a second. All right, verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. When? At that day, when the Lord returns, here's what you're going to know. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and you are in the Son, and the Son is in you. That's what this is. That's what's going to happen. And what is that? That's the promise of the Father. So that day hasn't happened yet, but the promise of the Father has happened. We have that. Look at John chapter 16. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come... But wait a minute. He's sending him. He's going to come. But... Two chapters before, he said, I'm coming. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. When he has come, he will, verse 8, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. What's going to change? When will they be able to bear them? How be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. And so he's going to show that what the Father has said and what the Son has said. That's why everything changed after Pentecost. How is it? They're hiding. They're scared. They don't know what to do. They're picking another disciple. Now they're ready for Pentecost. After Pentecost, they're going out and preaching the gospel boldly. And thousands are coming to Christ. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. That's the difference. The Holy Spirit of God. All right. Next week, I was going to do this this morning. Go back to Acts chapter 1. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that's verse 1. Next week, we'll look at what does that mean? What does Pentecost have to do with this? And let me just tell you something. It's super cool. You're really going to like it. But what changed? What is the significance of Pentecost? let's, Let's figure some of that out. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. The first one is that God is now in us. We looked at that. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. The second thing uh, that's so important to us, Ephesians chapter 2. Man, this is fantastic. Look at verse 14. You know what? Let's start in verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Okay, so the sign of the Jews was circumcision. The Gentiles were uncircumcised. All right, now notice what it says. For remember that ye being when? In time past Gentiles. 
There's something really important about to happen. I'm almost done. All right, don't, don't unplug here. What's the significance of Pentecost? That at that time, verse 12, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. Why? Because the covenant was for Israel. Romans chapter 9 says the covenants were for Israel. The law was for Israel. What about the Gentiles? You had to become a Jew. All right, look at what this says. But now in Christ, oh, look at that. In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You were afar off. Remember Grover? <clears throat> far, right? You were far off. Now you're nigh unto Jesus. You're close. You're close. He was a great Bible scholar, Grover. All right. So how did he do that? Verse 13, but now in Christ, ye who were sometimes, who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one. Oh, look at this. Made both what? Jews and Gentiles hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, of two, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access, how? By one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom? In Christ. All the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom? That's in Christ. Ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So what does the Spirit do? What happened at Pentecost? We're no, more, no longer Jews and Gentiles. We're no longer slave or free. We're no longer man or woman. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are one. Praise God. That's the significance. That's what happened and, and we'll get there when we get to Acts chapter 10. But remember, the other apostles were mad at Peter for preaching to the Gentiles, Cornelius and his Italian band. They, they were mad about that. But something happened. Go to Acts chapter 11 and look at verse 15. The significance, God is now in us. The Gentiles are one in the church. Look at Acts chapter 11. There's a Bible in the chair in front of you. I should have announced that. I hope that you are able to use one of those. It's very boring to sit and hear somebody read something without it being in front of you. Look at Acts chapter 11. So the, the apostles are mad at Peter for preaching to Cornelius. 
And look at what it says as Peter is expressing what happened to the other apostles. Verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us. Read those next three words. At the beginning. Can we read that again? At the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? How about that? Isn't that cool? So now this is the beginning of a new ministry, a new way of preaching. So now that the Holy Ghost has fallen on Gentiles as well as on the Jews, because remember, go back to Acts 2. Never miss this. You understand the Bible through people groups. The Bible says to give none offense neither to the Jew nor to the Gentile nor to the church of God. So there were Jews, I'm sorry, there were Gentiles. And then after Abraham, there were Jews and Gentiles. And after Pentecost, now there's Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. And in the church of God, you're neither a Jew nor a Gentile. You're a part of the church. Okay? So when the, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, in verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men. Uh, verse 14, but Peter lifted up with his, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, hearken unto my words. It's all to Israel, Jews, Jews, Jews. But then when Acts chapter 10 happens, now it's to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And the mystery of all that is revealed to the Apostle Paul. And he said, look, there's no difference. We're all one. And don't forget, Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Judah. He was a, he was a Jew's Jew. And he's saying, look, we're all one. We are all one. So the significance of Pentecost. God is now in us. Jews and Gentiles are one in the church. And a new way of ministry is established. But not only that, a new way to understand the Old Testament. First Peter chapter 1. And we'll be done. First Peter chapter 1. Many of you already know where we're going. Verse 7. First Peter 1 and verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm glad he's coming back. Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, that's us, right? Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Why do I know that the end of my faith is the salvation of my soul? Because I got the Holy Spirit at salvation and he abides with me forever. That's the earnest of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 says. All right? Receiving the end of your faith, the sal- even the salvation of your souls, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto them. Wh- who is it? You. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them. Oh, the Spirit of Christ did go in them, but he didn't dwell in them. Did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So the Old Testament prophets prophesied that Jesus Christ would suffer and then be glorified. But none of them understood it. How do I know that? 
unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, look, not unto them, but unto us, they did minister the things. Now, who's writing this, the, the first epistle of Peter? It's not a trick question. Who, who's writing this? The, who, who was preaching at Pentecost? Peter, okay? Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you. Look at what it says. By them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now there's a new way. There's a new message. The message is now the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But there's a new power. It's the power of the Holy Ghost that accompanies the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is the significance of Pentecost? Now Christ is in me. He's in me. I don't have to rely on my flesh. What's the song? The arm of flesh will fail you. We have that Holy Spirit of God in us that will dwell in us forever. Not only that, but Jews and Gentiles are one in the church. You no longer look for the Jew or you look for the Gentile. You preach the gospel and we are all one. There's no ethnic superiority. There's no racial superiority. We are all one in Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. And then there's a new way of ministry because we believe, according to the Word of God, we preach that the Holy Spirit comes on everyone who believes and indwells them, and they become the temple of God. That's all new. And there's a new way to understand the Old Testament. It was all talking about Jesus. Those prophets didn't understand it. That's why John the Baptist had to come and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ, who loved the world so much, he came to die for it. The first thing Jesus said as he began his ministry every time was repent. Repent, repent. Listen, love does not negate repentance. Love requires repentance. Love requires it. So what is the significance of Pentecost? Everything. Everything. Everything that the church is, everything that the church has, everything the church believes, it all changed at Pentecost. It's the most significant thing that ever happened. We're going to be looking at some of those details over the next few weeks. But what a wonderful thing that is. And you ought to study the Feast of Pentecost because we're going to see how Christ fulfilled that feast on this day. Let's all stand together. Isn't God good to us? Do you have all that memorized, what we just covered? You don't have to. I just hope that you'll see, my goodness, what an important day. What an important day. I love it. But do you have the Holy Spirit? The only way you can get the Holy Spirit is by receiving Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. How do you get the Son of God? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do is ask him to save you, and he will. How many of you have asked Christ? You know that he is your Savior and that heaven is your home. Amen. Who here would say, I don't know that, but I would like to? Would you raise your hand? I'm not saved, but I would like to be. I would like to know for sure that I can go to heaven when I die and have that peace with God now. Man, I'll tell you, that peace with God, it, it has a new meaning to me when I studied what happened at Pentecost. 
It's amazing. Hopefully we'll get to that next week.